Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> People know. They know where you're from now. <laughs> I know, but I went back yesterday and was like listening to random like, well, very first episodes, like, well, at least intros. And I used to say St. Louis, Missouri. Uh-huh. Yeah. At some point I just cut the Missouri out. <laughs> <laughs> we got comfy and lazy. Yeah. Or, yeah, well, I I don't want to say lazy. I just want to say comfortable. Like we were just kind of like, okay, this is, sounds more natural or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's Those interesting. beginning or like early episodes are funny. I listened back to one or two like little snippets. Did you of listen some. to the Michelle Young one? I did. That was the very okay, first one. It's like, and that hey had girl, hey, <laughs> yes, because that was the fr- we didn't even like say hey, this is well, it was like, hey girl, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's so funny. <laughs> it's, it's awkward and funny and cute, and I like it. And we've come really far. Hey, girl. Hey, <laughs> see how far we've come. <laughs> we have come very far. Pretty you stressed. just don't say it right at the beginning anymore. <laughs> True. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. So it's Happy New Year. Yeah. I mean, oh, I know yes, we had the live and we said it on the live and everything, but we ha- we're here. Happy New Year for a crime. Finally, gosh. Yeah. It's been a long break. I, I, see, I feel like it has, but it hasn't because really we did have one last week. Like, right. not last week, but the week before. So, but we have not done this in mm-hmm. a while, like recording and whatnot. So, we didn't need to do an intro last week, all that jazz. So, yeah, it's been a while. I know. It's good to see you. I just got my hair yeah. did. I know. It looks very nice. Thank you. I covered up my grays. So I have dye. I, I dyed my hair for the first time in my entire life. I know. It's, it's so crazy. day. I know. It's like I stopped and you started. Yep. <laughs> I knew this was going to be my year. I told everybody, I'm like, 2022 is my year, man. I'm not going to make it through 2022 wow. with the grays. Like you, I have to, something has to. You started it. You didn't just like get halfway through and you're like, okay. You were like, nope. I'm doing it right now. And, well, I just so happened to have a hair appointment and she just so happened to have to postpone it a little bit because she had the COVID. And so when she said, can we reschedule? I was like, yes. And can I add on yeah. service? <laughs> <laughs> May I pay you more money? <laughs> oh, Lordy Pete. That was shocking. I was shocked. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see why you're a quitter. <laughs> well, I mean, I was doing it myself, but I did it one time in the salon, which I really liked it because she did a really good job, but it was like 30 bucks because she was learning. I went to like a student oh, and yes. I signed up for like a, yeah. And so I was like, but I'll never do this for real. <laughs> I did it for real. Yeah. My hair smells amazing. Mm, I bet. (laughs) That fresh washed, fresh smelling, fresh blowout. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to go somewhere. You should. It's Thursday. It's a new Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about a crime and quit talking about my hair. (laughs) Okay. I'm ready for it. Okay, good. Here comes one. Okay, we're starting 2022 off with a real doozy. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> ay, ay, ay is right. Um, this case was suggested by Hillary, who is our friend from the north. She lives in Canada. Oh, 
Oh, and nice. this okay. is a Canadian case. Oh, sweet. This is the case of the McDonald's murders. McDonald's oh. as in Ronald McDonald, as in the restaurant. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. It happened at a McDonald's in 1992. And it is a very big case up there. It took place in Nova Scotia mm. um, in a small town called Sydney River, which is on Cape Breton Island. Okay. Huge, <laughs> huge case. I read it's it's arguably still to this day known as the most tragic crime on this island. Oh, my goodness. I guess I, I have to hold my pants. Yep, you are going to have to hold on to your pants. I read a book about this case called Murder at McDonald's, The Killer's Next Door, which was written by a journalist named Fonzie Jessam, who covered the case from the beginning to the end. He was super involved in it. And I found out about the book. Christy knows all of this because I've been <laughs> talking about it all week. I found out about it really last minute. It was really hard to find anyway, just to like order it. So I had to read it on my Kindle, so I can't give it away, sadly. Maybe if I look it up and come across one, I'll go ahead and get it, so that way I can give it away. But it's really good, very emotionally written. I think I read the entire thing in like 30-some hours. I finished last (laughs) night at 9.30, so. Yeah, gosh, she like powered through that, man. I did. Yes, I did. So anyway, thanks for suggesting this, Hillary. Here's your case. The case involves a lot of people. There are four victims and three murderers. So it's going to be a little bit longer, and I'm going to throw a lot of names at you at first. So try to stay with me. I hope everybody is awake. (laughs) I've got my pencil. I'm ready to take notes. (laughs) That's right. Okay. So in the small area of Sydney River, Nova Scotia, there were three friends. We have Derek Wood, who is 18 years old who met another 18-year-old, Darren Moise, in high school. So Derek and Darren both go to high school together, both 18. They recently, or Darren, had recently dropped out of high school. And I'm not sure about Derek. I don't know if he graduated before or if he was still in school or whatever, but they both went to the same high school. They met. They both lived what is described as an aimless life. So they're 18 years old. Neither of them had very much and they didn't really have any career ambitions or like a path. They didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. I probably would go as far as to say that they didn't really care what they did with Mm. their life. They both would go out at night. They would hang out at pool halls and coffee shops. And it's said that they would stay out until like five or six in the morning, then sleep all day till three or four, wake up, rinse, repeat go out again Mm, every single day. So Darren lived with his parents. Derek was raised by a single dad, but it didn't seem like he really lived in one place, which is why I think he was not in high school at the time too. Mm -hmm. He would stay with his dad some, but he also stayed with his brother and his cousin some too. So one night while out super late, they met a 23-year-old man named Freeman McNeil. Freeman, a little bit older, He seemed to have been living a similar lifestyle as Derek and Darren. He would stay out all night. He would sleep all day. He had previously, or I don't know if it was he, this is something he used to do, or if he off and on still did it, would work as a private security officer. Mm. But it didn't seem like he was working at the time that they met. And because he didn't really do anything 
you know, but I think he was on some kind of government assistance as well. So we would get a little bit of money from that. And Freeman had a car. So they were like, cool, this is our friend with the car. Um, They would spend their nights driving around, playing pool, playing like arcade games or video games or whatever, slot games, stuff like that. They would hang out in parking lots, hang out in coffee shops all night long. Mm -hmm. So you get their vibe. So in early 1992, Derek got a job at the local McDonald's in Sydney River. Derek's co-workers liked him well enough, but they did say that he was like a bit strange. He was definitely on the outside of the group. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't really a part of their group. He was still kind of weird and, you know, didn't fit in. And it seemed like during this time that Derek and his two friends were feeling really restless and like frustrated with their life. They felt like they had no future. They were kind of stuck and they really started to think that they had nothing to lose. So they decided that they wanted to rob a place to get some quick money and use the money to possibly kickstart their life, move somewhere, whatever. Huh. Wow. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. One day while Derek was at work, he noticed a basement door at the McDonald's that no one ever used. So he starts thinking, hmm, you know, I could prop that door open somehow and then sneak in that door and rob this place. And he was thinking there's probably some big money in the safe at McDonald's because, you know, McDonald's sells a lot of French fries. So I bet they have around (laughs) $200,000 in that safe. So is that what he he thought? He He was like, I think there's probably about $200 in that safe. So $150,000, $200,000. There's some money in there. Mm -hmm. So he tells his friend, friends, Freeman and Derek or Freeman and Darren and the three of them, they're all in. They're like, yeah. That's what we should do. That'll be that quick okay. money that we'll we'll need. We'll rob the McDonald's. Sounds super smart. <laughs> yeah. So they decided that they probably needed a fourth person to pull this off. So they start working on a plan. They're like, we're going to figure out a plan. Then we're going to figure out all the, the pawns we need in this plan. So Derek would prop the door open at the end of his shift. No one used that door. So no one would notice it being slightly opened after he left. They would wait until the restaurant closed so no customers would be there, but employees were always there. Mm-hmm. So like how it would work is the restaurant would be open for whatever hours. Then there would be employees there a couple hours after that closing down the restaurant. And before they left, the next shift would be coming in to prepare it for the next day's opening. Oh, so, so there's literally always somebody. Always there. someone there 24 hours, but it's not open 24 hours. So mm-hmm. what they were going to do was break in in that crossover of when the restaurant closes, but there are some employees still there closing it down before mm-hmm. and then before the other employees come in to take over. That was their plan. Okay, so they would break in through the prop door. Darren and Freeman would go in and surprise any employees that were there and restrain them. Derek would then go upstairs and break into the safe and get the money. Okay. So they thought they needed a fourth person there to stand by that door in case anyone tried to escape. So like if Freeman and Darren weren't able to, because there was only two of them and they didn't know how many employees would be there for sure. So Mm -hmm. they're thinking if one of the employees runs, tries to run out, then we've got another person there at the door to stop them. Okay. 
So they start thinking of who they can pull in to be their fourth, and they ask around and put feelers out to people, which I don't even know how those conversations went. Right. But I think it was more yeah. like, hey, man, wouldn't it be nice to have some fast money? And just saw people's reactions. Mm-hmm. And finally, Freeman asks this asks this guy who hangs out at these late night spots with them. His name is Gary in the book, but that's not his real name. Oh, okay. It's been changed. So Freeman tells this Gary that it's their plan to rob the McDonald's. He explains the plan, tell, tells him how they're going to do it. And he's like, we're going to rob it. Nobody's going to get hurt. We'll get some fast money. All good. But this guy is kind of on the fence about it and ultimately is like, I'm out. I'm not. Mm. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to do it. So Derek, Darren, and Freeman decide that they're just going to have to do it without him. We're just going to have to do it with us three. We're okay. all in here. We've got a plan. We'll figure it out. We'll do it. And Gary's not going to tell on them. Gary, <laughs> Gary's just like he he doesn't believe they're really going to do it. He's like, whatever, guys. I don't even want to talk about this anymore. Okay. I'm out. This is crazy. Like y'all crazy. Right. So I don't know that he took them seriously entirely, but either way, he was like, stop talking to me about this. So on May 6th of 1992, Derek works a shift at the McDonald's. Just before he leaves, he goes down to the basement and changes out of his uniform. And while he's down there, he props open the door with a bag, like a backpack, his backpack. Mm -hmm. So then Freeman picks him up from work and they meet up with Darren. They put on two layers of clothing. So they had like regular clothes on and then they put another complete layer of clothes on over top. So mm. that if there's any fibers that get off or whatever, they can take those clothes off and like discard them. I think they're thinking also, that they're going to be able to cover up evidence. Yeah. Also, way. I was thinking that if um, when they left and the employees that were there called the cops and said what they were wearing, they could easily take something off and they wouldn't True. You know, be seen. True. That's right. So Freeman had taken a 22 caliber pistol from his girlfriend's father without him knowing. So the girlfriend's father had a gun Mm -hmm. that he kept somewhere. I think it was actually put up and somehow Freeman got a hold of this and took it. And the dad had no idea. Nobody had any idea, but he brings it with him. He gets Mm -hmm. this gun and he brings it and he gives the gun to Derek to use during the robbery. Freeman also brought a shovel and some ropes Darren had brought with him two knives and he brought a Halloween mask with him to wear during the robbery. Okay. So the boys parked Freeman's car in a secluded lot and walked to the McDonald's a little around midnight. So now this would be May 7th. So meanwhile, at the McDonald's, there were three employees still there. So it was closed. They were still there, like closing down the restaurant. The manager, which is 26-year-old Donna Warren, was in the office counting the money and doing that type of thing, putting it in the safe, things like that, and like closing up business for the day. Donna, I just a little bit about her. She had a big smile. She had thick, wavy hair, and she was working at McDonald's to save money for law school. She wanted to be a defense attorney. So, Oh, okay. And then also there's 29-year-old Neil Burroughs. Neil worked as like a cleaner, like a janitor and maintenance person. And he was there cleaning the kitchen to get it ready for the next morning. So he was cleaning up everything in the kitchen from the day before. Mm-hmm. Neil was very handsome. He always like dressed to the nuns and he was married and had a three-year-old son. 
So his wife worked at a salon during the day. So he would work the night shifts so that he could take care of his son while his mom has the mom worked during the day. Mm -hmm. So really good dad. Good guy. Then there was also 20 year old Arlene McNeil. Arlene had actually finished her shift and had gone downstairs to the basement to change out of her uniform, but she was waiting around for Donna to finish up because the two of them, when they worked like late night shifts, they would always leave together. So, you know, just for like safety reasons and stuff. Mm -hmm. So while she was downstairs waiting, she was there. There was a birthday party, a kid's birthday party on the schedule for the next day. And she was gathering up and organizing some of the party supplies for the kid's birthday just to help out because she was there. She was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to be nice and help. We used to have McDonald's birthdays all the time. Do you remember, like, it was like, I mean, I remember them, but I don't think we had one, but I remember. In the 90s. Yeah. Okay. So Arlene was extremely sweet. She was working at McDonald's to save money for college. She was very beautiful. She was known as like the prom queen. She was a super, super pretty, sweet young girl. Staying late, waiting on her friend, helping out for the next day. Okay. And we'll find out what happens to these people right after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So just after midnight, the three men, Derek, Darren, and Freeman, approached the basement door at the McDonald's. All three men were wearing gloves. Derek put on his mask and got out his two knives. Derek pulled out the gun, and Mm -hmm. Freeman was holding a shovel, and he had ropes with him. So they all snuck in the slightly open door, and... This is hard to hear. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you what happens. And I just want to trigger anybody before I get started because it's Mm -hmm. gruesome. So by the time the men had gotten to the basement door, Donna had come downstairs to meet Arlene. So remember, Arlene's in the basement. She changed her clothes. She's getting party supplies, waiting on Donna. So Donna came down. Hey, I'm all done. You ready to go? What's up? And the three men come in and completely surprise them. So at first they were scared because there's this weird guy in a mask. And Mm -hmm. then Donna recognizes Derek, who had just been there a few hours before working with them. And she was like, what's going on, guys? Is this a joke or something? Like, what are you doing here? What's going on? And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Derek raised up the gun and shot Arlene in the head. Oh, my gosh. Blank in the head, out of nowhere. Remember, they just came to rob the place. They were going to restrain people. So she fell face first on the floor. She's severely injured, but still breathing. Holy cow. The other two men stood there, stunned, they say, for a second. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, I guess this is what we're doing now. And Freeman yells, hurry up. Let's hurry up. 
So Derek and Darren run upstairs while Freeman stays down with the shot Arlene and Donna. Who and is I'm like sure Donna's freaking out. Yes, she is. She's trying yeah. to help her friend because she's still alive and she's freaking out and all this stuff. Anyway, so Neil was upstairs in the kitchen cleaning a sink. He's the one who was cleaning the kitchen for the next day. Because there's like machines and noises going on in the kitchen, he did not hear what was going on and he didn't hear Derek and Darren run up the stairs. So when they got to the top of the stairs and opened the door, they surprised him. Mm. Derek just walks right up to him and shoots him in the head. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, no hesitation. So Neil falls to his knees. He's totally confused, Has doesn't realize even that he's been shot, and he tries to get back up. Then Darren stabbed him in the neck and sliced his throat. Still, Neil remained conscious and was asking for help and trying to stand back up. My word! So Derek then runs downstairs to see about the two women, Donna and Arlene. He sees Arlene like laying on the ground and he grabs Donna and forces her back up the stairs to the office at gunpoint to open the safe. Freeman follows after him. He just leaves Arlene there. He, you know, they think she's dead probably. And he comes up the stairs and he comes into the kitchen and he sees what's going on with Darren and Neil. And Darren yells, the guy won't die. Derek shot him and I cut his throat and he still won't die. So Freeman took the shovel and hit Neil on the head, knocking him to the floor. Oh my goodness. How does, oh, okay. Still, Neil was alive. Well, asking for help. He's so confused. I mean, this is so ridiculously brutal. Like, dudes. How did it go from we're going to rob this place to all of a sudden we have killed and brutally beaten people? And you were going to ask that the entire time. Okay. So meanwhile, in the office, Donna opens the safe for Derek. And as soon as she stood up to turn around, he shot her in the back of the head. She spins around and then he shoots her again through the eye. Uh. Can you, This is... Really intimate, what's going on. Yeah, this is ridiculous. So Derek cleans out the safe and went back into the kitchen to get the other two men and saw that Neil was still alive. So he shot him one last time in the head, which finally killed him. Neil, gosh. He suffered, that poor man. Yeah. So by this time, it's around one o'clock in the morning and the men decide that they need to get out of there. They've, they They got the safe money. We got to go. So they run to the back door of the kitchen. When they opened the door, there was a man standing there, like like waiting. He looked like he had been waiting there. This was 27-year-old Jimmy Fagan. Jimmy was coming into work for his shift, but he was coming in early because he wanted to visit for a few minutes with Neil. And his other co-workers, they were friends of his. And so he was coming in a little bit early, like to hang out and, you know, I'll help out a little bit. Jimmy had taken a taxi there and the taxi had just dropped him off. And he had apparently come to the back door, knocked on the back door because it was locked for them to let him in and was just waiting for them to let him in. Had no idea what was going on inside the restaurant. He didn't hear gunshots? Apparently not. I mean, maybe he just got there right right in the in-between times or something. I don't know. But 
Jimmy, he's known as a comic relief with his family and friends. He was normally a landscaper, but was working at McDonald's during an off season. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, just to like earn some money while there wasn't really any landscaping work to be done. So Jimmy obviously startles the men. He's startled. And as they open the door and he's like, whoa, what's what's going on? And someone yells, shoot him. Freeman then grabbed the gun and shot Jimmy in the head. Oh, my goodness, Jimmy. Jimmy falls. The three men then run off into the night towards their car. Lord have mercy. Yes. I don't even, I'm like, I'm speechless. (laughs) I'm speechless. That was a lot. So, okay. So the taxi driver who had just dropped Jimmy off was pulling slowly out of the parking lot when he heard what he thought was a firecracker, like a fi- like a pop noise. Mm-hmm. So he kind of turns around and then he sees two men running out of the kitchen door and into the woods. So he was like, whoa, what happened? You know, what was that noise? Why are they running? What's going on? So he kind of circled back around to where he dropped Jimmy off and he saw Jimmy's body laying outside the door. So he's in his cab. It's 1992. He doesn't have a cell phone. So he like radios for help on his like, you know, the little cabbie CB Mm -hmm. radio and is like, somebody needs to call the police. There's a guy here. I think he was shot. I'm scared to get out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody else is here. I don't have a phone. I don't want to get out to use a pay phone. I don't want to leave, you know, this guy here or whatever. So anyway, other cab drivers call for help for him. They send help, whatever. So paramedics, first responders arrive and they find Jimmy is the first one they find who is outside the kitchen door was still alive. (gasps) Barely. So then they go, they get help for him. They go in. Neil and Donna were both found and they were both pronounced dead at the scene. As they're working the crime scene, Arlene was then found in the basement, still breathing, but severely injured. Mm Mm-hmm. Jimmy and Arlene were rushed to the hospital as law enforcement tried to piece together this like gruesome crime scene and what had happened at this McDonald's. So the three men, Derek, Darren, and Freeman run to Freeman's car. Freeman threw the shovel he had used in a ditch near the car. And as they were pulling out, Derek realizes, oh, crap, I left my backpack in the door. Oh, good heavens. So he jumps out of the car and is running. He's like, I got to I gotta go get it. I'm freaking out. Y'all go on ahead. I've got to handle this. But when he went back to the McDonald's, he saw the taxi driver still there. And so he wasn't able to go back because he would have been mm. seen. Mm-hmm. So he like goes off and is trying to just figure out a plan. So Freeman, because he's got to cover his tracks now. They know mm-hmm. he was there. So right, right. Freeman and Darren go get on to the business of getting rid of the evidence. They go to a culvert, which is by like a creek or a river. Mm -hmm. They call it a brook, but I think that's like a river, which is near Freeman's house. Darren washes off the knives and threw one in the river, one in the woods. They discard the top layer of their clothing. They take their shoes off. They dump spent shell casings. And then they empty everything out of the car that was from the safe that wasn't money. Okay. So there was like a tin cash box that had had money in it. So they threw that in the river. There was paperwork and there were dozens of these tiny red change purses 
that McDonald's used to give out that had little gift cards in them. Do you remember them? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try to find a picture to post, but they dumped all of this stuff in the river and then they parted ways. Freeman washed the gun and put it back in his girlfriend's house where her father kept it. And then they counted the money that was taken from the safe, which totaled a whopping $2,017. Oh gosh. All of that. A little less than they thought. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Killed all those people for $2,000. I mean, yep. they shouldn't kill anybody for any amount of money, but yeah, not the $150,000, $200,000 they thought it was going to be. Right. So meanwhile, Derek, freaking out, decides that he's going to have to tell the cops that he was there. He's like, there's no mm-hmm. way out. I was there. They're going to know. So he runs to a convenience store that apparently he was known to frequent late at night, and he calls the police. Mm-hmm. He tells the police that he had been working at the McDonald's and was staying late to hang out with his coworkers, and that he was at the back door of the basement smoking, had propped it okay. open with his backpack because it would close if he, you know, if if he let it close, it would latch. So he's out there smoking and he heard gunshots from inside and just took off running. He just left. He was fled, scared for his life. Okay. So the police say, okay, go home. Give us your address, give us your phone number, and we're going to come and we're going to question you. Because okay. right now, they've, they're still wondering if there's active shooters, they're looking for people, you know, whatever. So, cool. So, Derek also calls his cousin, which is the guy who was staying with him, and he called Freeman. Mm-hmm. But Freeman wasn't home because Freeman was getting rid of evidence. So, he right. woke Freeman's mom up at like 2 o'clock in the morning. So, then Derek kind of went walking And he walked up a road and there was like a roadblock. The police had the um, road blocked off because they didn't want anybody in the surrounding areas to be able to get away. So they were blocking off all the roads. And he kind of walked right up to the officer that was standing at the roadblock and was like, look, I was at the McDonald's. I was there. I worked there. This is what happened. I ran off. And so the police are like, you stay right here because he's an eyewitness at this point. Mm So they... They come, they they talk to him. He was acting nervous and weird. And they, he tells them their story and they're like, all right, um, go home. You know, like we, we're going to need to talk to you again. They go back to the crime scene. They find his na- his backpack in the door, which makes sense, but there's no cigarette butts anywhere. So immediately he was kind of seen as a suspect right away. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for committing the murders, but as a possible accomplice, like he had let them in at the very mm-hmm. least because his stuff okay. was in the doorway. He didn't have any blood on him, you know, nothing like that. So they were very confused. This kid's involved. We need to know how. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're investigating all avenues and leads. This is kind of a side note. I started not to mention it, but it is interesting. They got a call from a woman who says that she was with her brother and two of his friends that night and that they had robbed the McDonald's while she was in the car. So then, yeah, which is just like this (laughs) random tip. And then they get a call that's called into Crime Stoppers that says the exact same thing, an anonymous call from Crime Stoppers. So the police since there's two tips now coming in with the same names of these three men, they arrest those men. Like they do like a sting operation. It was a big dramatic thing and arrest these men. But all of these men had like solid alibis. They were really quickly cleared. And this woman ended up 
having like serious mental health issues. And she was later charged with like falsely reporting a crime. I don't know what that was about, but it was like, it's significant because it derailed their investigation from looking into the men that they should have been looking into. They like were preparing the sting operation for these three random people who somebody falsely reported. Did the same woman falsely report them in both? Oh, they don't know. They don't know anything about the crime stopper tip. Those things come in anonymously. They think so. They're pretty sure that it was, but they don't know. So then as they're doing the investigation, some fishermen down by the river find a tin cash box that had a yellow sticker on it with Ronald McDonald that said, have a happy McDay. Oh, man. So they think, (laughs) well, this is probably related. So they turn it into the police and the police begin searching up and down the bank and they find the other items that have been discarded in the river, a shoe. They find one of the knives. They find some of those little red purse things with the gift cards Mm. in them. So they know that whoever committed this crime was down by that river and that this stuff was related. Okay. But then the police get a call from Gary. Remember Gary? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Gary is going to be the group's fourth. Gary tells them everything. He says, Derek, Darren, and Freeman told me that they were going to rob this McDonald's. They asked me to be involved. And he said, after it was actually robbed, you know, a day or two later, Freeman called me and told me, well, somebody else got to it before we did. Uh, uh. So Gary didn't believe them, obviously. And so he decided to call the cops and turn them in. He said, I I didn't really think they would really do it. Mm -hmm. They were crazy, just like blowing smoke, like, you know, drunk talk, whatever. But then when it actually happened and then Freeman felt like he had to come back to me, he was like, I Mm -hmm. feel like that they were involved. So police know of Derek's involvement somewhat so they can connect him to the crime already. Derek had also tried to call Freeman the night of the murders. So now they can connect the two of them together. And then they go to question Freeman and he tells police that he was with Darren that night. That was his alibi. He was driving around with Darren. So Mm -hmm. now they're like, okay, this Gary just named these three boys. And now we can connect all three boys together the night of the murder. Mm -hmm. So also during this time, Jimmy... The one that was shot, the guy that was Mm -hmm. standing by the back door that was shot, he had been placed on life support, but he was declared to be brain dead. So his wife, his young wife, had to make the heartbreaking decision of removing him from life support, and he passed away. Arlene is still alive. Mm. She's seriously injured in critical condition and in a coma. It's all while this investigation is going on. All these people are shot in the head and they survive. Some of them multiple times. Right. Like for a period of time, at least, if not. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Jeez. Okay. So Derek, they bring him in for questioning. Sticks to a story about smoking outside the basement door. Hearing shots. Says he sees two men, one in a mask, which is something Mm. that is new. And then he runs away out of fear, called the police. Darren told the police that he didn't have anything to do with the murders. He didn't know what they were talking about. He says that he was at a shopping plaza eating and he heard two men from a nearby town talking about how they were going to rob the McDonald's and that the men had seen him looking at them. And since then, he had noticed like 
somebody was tra- following him. So he mm-hmm. was fearful for his life and said that he was so afraid he had even attempted suicide because okay. apparently they had done this crime and they knew that he overheard them talking about it. And so now he was, you know, he also mm-hmm. failed a polygraph test. Freeman also failed a polygraph test. And after that, they were like, dude, you failed. We know you have something to do with it. Derek called you. You were with Darren. You've been implicated. We found all this evidence in a river right by your house. You better mm-hmm. start talking. Right. So Freeman, he starts to talk a little bit, but he tells police that he had been with Darren the night that it happened, that he'd seen him walking around town that night and had picked him up. And Darren told him that he and Derek and Derek's cousin, who Derek stays with sometimes, had robbed the McDonald's and killed the employees. Okay. Freeman says that, right. So he's driving Darren around. Darren tells him all of this. He has nothing to do with it, but he implicates this innocent man, you know, and having something to do with it. And he says that at one point when they were driving around, Darren was like, pull over, pull over right here. I got to get rid of some stuff and pinpointed the river where all of the stuff had been located. Okay. So, okay. They don't believe that he didn't have anything to do with it, of course, but he does know information about where evidence is and stuff like that. So this dude's involved. Like, we've got you. We have got all of you. Right. So once Derek finds out that Freeman was trying to wrongfully accuse his cousin, he's like, screw this. This is what happened. And he tells the truth. He says, my cousin was not involved. He tells them where they can find the gun that Freeman had stole from the father. It was recovered. It was identified as the murder weapon. Darren at that point completely stopped cooperating. And on May 15th, all three men were arrested. So this happened May 7th. So by May 15th, they've got him. Oh, wow. Okay. All this happened so super quick. They were charged with the first-degree murders of Donna Wood and Neil Burroughs, the second-degree murder of Jimmy Fagan, the attempted murder of Arlene McNeil, robbery, and unlawful confinement. So Derek went on trial first and pled not guilty. And in June of 1993, just a little bit over a year after, a jury found him guilty on all charges. So... Two first-degree murders, one second-degree murder, robbery, and unlawful confinement. He was sentenced to the maximum sentence in Canada, which is two terms of life in prison, with no possibility of parole for 25 years. Oh, okay. I don't know why they call it life. Right. Anyway, I mean, he can get denied parole, so he could potentially spend his life in prison. But we all know Canada has... um, More lenient sentences than we do here in the U.S. Okay. So 18 hours after Derek's trial, Darren's trial begins. Now, there were some issues with Darren and because, you know, he stops talking. He doesn't tell the police anything. He does fail a polygraph, but he doesn't, like, come clean like the other two guys do. And so they're having a hard time trying to charge him with first-degree murder because They're not entirely sure if he actually killed anybody. So we know that he slit Mm. Neil's throat, but that didn't kill Neil. Oh, so we aren't sure if he 
fired any shots or things like that. Also, Darren wore a mask during the entire thing. So it is possible that they could argue that he did not intend for anyone to die and that he wore the mask so as not to be identified. Okay. I don't know about that. I have a heart. He had two knives with him. He used one of them. We know for sure. He hid all the evidence afterwards. I can't imagine that there were three guys and one of them was kind of in the dark and the other two weren't. I have a hard time believing any of that. But from a legal standpoint, they are worried about putting him on trial for first degree murder. Okay. So the Crown accepted a plea deal that was brought forth by Darren's attorney. Darren pled not guilty to first degree murder and guilty to the second degree murder of Neil and robbery. Okay. So as you can imagine, the victims of the families are all very upset about this plea deal. And they really felt like that Darren, like what I just said, they, they did not believe any of this bull hockey and it's like legal technicalities. They feel like is not getting justice served for their family members, but he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 20 years. So instead of 25 years, he got 20. Okay. Okay. Freeman, his, he got a change of venue for his trial because they said that he wasn't going to be able to find an unbiased jury because the other two men had been convicted in such a small town. Okay. He was charged with first degree murder, second degree murder, robbery, and unlawful confinement, same as Derek. And he was also given life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. So he got the same sentence, essentially, as Derek did. Derek got two life sentences. I think he just got one. I'm not sure about that, though. Miraculously, a few months after the crime, Arlene woke up. Whoa. And she began a very long recovery process. She had no memory of the attack and sadly suffered from permanent and severe brain damage and physical disabilities. The community raised over $100,000 to help her with her medical expenses and like specialized care she would need. She actually attended some of the trials and I saw pictures of it and it's just, she's so brave. But she doesn't remember it. She doesn't remember anything about the attacks or anything. But she passed away in 2018 at the age of 46 years old. Oh. Yeah. So she was an amazing survivor, you know, total like warrior story. But did she, did she die from like basically like complications or you don't know what she did? It doesn't say, it says an illness, like an unspecified illness. So I don't know what that means. But I mean, she was severely disabled. She was like a paraplegic. She was always in a wheelchair. Um, She was very disfigured, super strong lady, super Mm -hmm. strong. So she was only 20 years old when this happened. Like, unbelievable. So Derek and Freeman remain in maximum security prisons. Derek applied for parole in 2015, but was denied because he was still found to be a danger to society. I think he's had some some scuffles in jail of things yeah. like attacking guards and things like that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But frustratingly, Darren received full parole in 2012, 20 years after the murders. So he was sentenced to 20 years before he could apply for parole. He applied. He got it. 
Wow. Yeah. He was told he could never go back to Sydney River or the surrounding areas. And it's believed, I saw somewhere that he might be living in like Quebec. I don't know. But I mean, as you can imagine, even 20 years later, this was like another blow to the families of the victims that this guy just full parole. Here you go. Have a good right. life, sir. He was only 18 years old when this happened. So when he was paroled, he was only 38. The whole life ahead of him that their family yeah. members will never get. No, but how is he even going to, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, it's such a gruesome thing that he did. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how do you even get a job? How do you like, how do you come out of that? How do you come out of that? I don't know. I'm assuming Canada has programs for that, but I don't know. Yeah. So the McDonald's operated until 2000 when it was finally demolished and a new McDonald's was opened up in a more desirable location. The, the location where that McDonald's was is just a slab of concrete. Oh. And people in the community still say that like when they drive by, they get like an eerie like shiver. Mm. So the three men never gave any explanation for why they choose to so brutally murder these four people or three people and shoot the fourth. And they had to and are still being have to held in protective custody because even their inmates hated them. Oh, wow. Even the other people in jail were like threatening them. And yeah, like they were hated. The whole town still remains very shaken by all of this that happened because, you know, to them, they're thinking like these crimes are so brutal. The people who did this, these murderers, these are hardened criminal monsters. And it turned out that they were like bored young men that live right right there in their town that just out of nowhere decided to rob and then brutally murder this place. So. I will end the story with a quote from the book, which I really liked because I think it really like wraps up the impact of all of this on their little community. It is, quote, the Sydney River McDonald's murders were a terrible tragedy. The legacy of pain left from the seven shots fired that night will continue to be felt for many years. As Neil's son grows up with no father, as Arlene McNeil grows old as a disabled adult, as the people who love all four victims continue to ask the question with no answer, and as those who loved the men convicted try to deal with their grief and ask the same question, why did it happen to have to happen at all? Gosh. And that is the story of the McDonald's murders. That's crazy. I've never heard that before. Never me either. Ever, yeah. ever. Holy cow. That, yeah. Why did it have to happen? It's a, yeah, that's a fair question to ask. I mean, why does any murder have to happen? But gosh, they went in, they said they were going to rob it and they end up, well, I mean, I guess when you take a gun and weapons anywhere. Yeah. I mean, some people don't believe that they did just go to rob it. Some people believe that they went to commit the murders. Some people believe that Derek got spooked and shot one of them. And then the other guys were like, group mentality. You know, there's that, there's that thing, that psychological thing of right when you're in a group and one person, you know, you feel pressured or whatever to like, right. your part and here we are, this is what we're doing now. So these are your coworkers though. Yeah, like, they were. He knew them personally. He, I mean, and he was the master. I, I believe he was the mastermind behind it all. 
it certainly doesn't lessen what the other men did, but like, no, he had a personal connection to these people. He trapped them there. I mean, it was just, he knew, he knew they would be there. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he, like, if he did go in with that intention and maybe didn't share that with the other two, like for whatever reason he wanted to do this, but he's not even the one, I mean, he had the gun, but Freeman's the one that gave it to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. It's (sighs) very sad. It's very awful and tragic and it really changes my, um, how I'm going to enjoy those French fries from now on. No kidding. Gosh. Mm -hmm. I know. I'll think about it every time now. I mean, I'm glad that that one doesn't like, it's not, it's not a building anymore. Yeah. It doesn't exist. That one. Yeah. His, some of the family members actually petitioned to have the building. Oh, demolished. And they also have done a lot of petitions about um, the Canadian justice system and getting harsher punishments for first degree murder. Oh, um, people that are uh, convicted of first degree murder, which yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, this has been a thing (laughs) for quite a while. um, Yeah. They believe in the like rehabilitation of people, but I don't necessarily believe, I mean, like I think it can happen, but like not when it's like this. Right. And these were young kids. They had no previous criminal histories, had not been in trouble. Like, it's really, it seems, and it's scary. It seems like it's out of nowhere. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, good case. Gosh, yes. Yeah, good case. Thank you. Really glad to have that over with. I have been in the throes of these awful murders for like three days straight. I know. (laughs) I know. So. Yes, thank you to Hillary for suggesting the story. Certainly not everyone I would have come across, I don't think. So, but right, yeah, I don't cover think it. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Great. Well, thanks for sharing it. Thanks for diving deep into that. <laughs> I You're mean, welcome. Yeah, that took a lot of, not that all of them don't, but that took a lot for you to get through in a few days. And so, yeah, and I'm reading that book. So, hang on. Hang on. Hold on to your pants. Let's see if I can find that, get a hold of that book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I'm kind of, it's a good book though. It is a good book. Interesting. Lots of interviews from the family members, lots of um, really in detail court things that happen in court. It goes into the trial a lot and how like the families really were so frustrated by all of the things that was going on. And um, it's interesting. It's good. It's very emotional. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Keep an eye out for it. I may actually keep an eye out for it on my Oh, I sent it to you first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, well, thanks for doing that. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that. And welcome to 2022, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for sticking with us. And hopefully you continue to stick with us. And we love it. We're having fun still. As much fun as you can. We're searching murder. That's right. (laughs) But anyways, thanks again. Um, And we, I mean, you can come find us on social media, interact with us. Let us know what you think about this story. What, um, if you have any thoughts on it, I'm sure there'll be lots of posts and stuff this Mm -hmm. week for, for this. So, and just always remember the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.